people that how that's helping them. They're understanding something, and that's what a teaching does. Teaching gives us understanding so that we can take it home and apply it, and allows the Spirit of God to work in our lives once we have understanding. And so that's why we're going to spend. In fact, I, what I'm really sensing is this is this is some a, a little small section of some materials that I used to teach in school of ministry in a course called Renewing the Mind. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling an inkling to get into more of it than just this. So we may end up teaching more of that class than I had originally intended to. But tonight we're going to continue on with kind of where we left off. We got on some sidetracks last week on some things that I didn't plan to get into, but I'm glad we did. And so we're talking now about spirit, soul, and body, and uh, the importance of understanding the different parts of you, because that's how God made you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in the, your body. Your body's the part of you that you spend most of your time conscious of. It's the part of you you're feeling right now. If you're feeling tired, hungry, sleepy, you know, itchy, whatever it is you're feeling right now, that's your body talking to you. And we, we spend 90 plus percent of our time Walking around, sleeping, being aware of this, it, it requires most of our time. Just think about it. You've got to dress it up, clean it up, you know, comb it up, curl it up, you know, wash it up, whatever you've got to shave it up, whatever you've got to do to it. Then you've got to tur turn around tomorrow and do it all over again. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it, for something you're going to leave here. But we do need it. It is important. And so we've seen as we've gone in our study that in order to understand this, you have to understand that the Bible talks about two realms of existence. That's very important to understand. There's a natural material realm, which is the realm that we spend most of our time aware of. It's the part of it's the realm that that chair is in that you're sitting in. It's the realm that your body comes from. It's anything that exists that one or more of your five senses can detect. So if you can see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, or feel it, then it is of this material realm. It's this natural realm. It's the realm that the Bible talks about in, G in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when it says, in the beginning. In the beginning when God created. So what God's creating in Genesis 1 and 2 is this realm of existence. And the fact that it starts out in the beginning means there was a time when it didn't exist. But it came out of something. And in Hebrews, we didn't go and look at those scriptures, but there's some scriptures in Hebrews that tell us, in Hebrews 11, that what we see came out of what was not seen. Because there's another realm of existence, and that's the spirit realm. And that's a realm that is more real than this material realm. But the difference, one of the differences in that realm is you cannot detect it by any one of your five natural physical senses. But it is very real. Jesus dealt with the spirit realm. He talked to some spirits. He cast some spirits out. The Bible says God is a spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is the realm that is more real. It is the more real realm. Got that out straight. It is the realm that's more real of the two realms of existence. But the realm we've spent most of our time with is the natural physical realm in our life. Therefore, it's more real to us because we've spent very little time in contact with the spirit realm. Now, here's the problem. Part of you comes from the spirit realm, and part of you is of the natural material realm. If you'd put up, put up that, I think it's slide seven, right, the one I told you, there you go. All right. 
The left-hand side talks about the spirit realm. The legal and vital we may talk about later on. But just look at spiritual, spirit and then material and body. The block on the left represents the realm of existence that we're talking about, the spirit realm. This part of you is of that realm is your spirit. That shouldn't be shocking. It's your spirit, so it comes from the spirit realm. This isn't rocket science yet. Your spirit comes from the spirit realm. That's good. Okay, all right. That's the real you. That's your nature, and that's the source of your life. We saw in, in, uh, in Psalm 104, verse 23, uh, 29, excuse me, the Bible says, if you take the spirit out, the body dies. Genesis 2, 7 says that God, when God created the man, he breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed his own spirit into him, and he became a living soul, a living being. So God breathed life into that pile of material realm. So the material realm, in Genesis 7, it says God formed him out of the dust of the earth. That's the material realm. So his body was formed out of the material realm. Yours was too. And then God breathed into him the breath of life. And so he became a living soul. So the inner part of you, the part that's the source of life inside of you, is your spirit. That's why, and I'm sure some of you at least have had this experience, but I certainly had it, used to have it, still do to some degree. But I remember times when I was still practicing law, and I worked an hour away from here. And I would leave a courtroom exhausted. It's exhausting, isn't it, Richard? Because you've got to mentally concentrate. I get in that car, drive an hour home, go home, throw something down my throat, whatever was ready. It was good, but I'm just, you know, quickly put it down my throat and say, do we really have to go to church tonight, Wednesday night? But see, here's where habit's important. We had developed that habit as a family. So when you develop a habit, you don't think about it. Oh, you may think about it, but you're already predisposed towards going because it's the habit. So there are bad habits so that when you think, oh, I really shouldn't do that, but you've already developed the habit of doing it, it takes more work to turn it around and go the other way. But bad habits, good habits, work for you that way because if you develop that good habit, such as getting up and reading your Bible first, such as coming to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, at the very least. So when you've developed that habit, even when you don't want to, you're already leaning towards doing it. And so I would get in the car, we get the kids in the car, we come here, and I'm thinking, oh, I really could have stayed at home. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but I want to show you a point. And but somewhere in praise and worship, something would go off in me. Then we sit here, I hear the word, it begin to resonate. By the time I'm lifting, reading it, I'm ready to go. I mean, I'm ready to go back to court again. What happened? I didn't get six hours sleep or eight hours sleep. What happened? The spirit man on the inside of me was revitalized with the word of God and with praise and worship. So I was revitalized. That's why your body will tell you, your mind will tell you when you get up to pray early in the morning that you can't, you're not going to make it. You start getting up early to pray, your mind's going to tell you you're going to die. You got up 10 minutes early, you'll never make it through the day. You know, if you fast today, you'll starve to death. You know, all these things. Your mind lies to you. Have you ever noticed it? We have books in the library, about, in the bookstore, about learning to tell yourself the truth. Well, I tell myself the truth. You just lied. <laughs> you lie to yourself all the time. We won't go there. All right. So the point is this that the real you is a spirit being on the inside of you, but it lives 
in your natural body. But here's the problem we discussed. The problem is because they cannot communicate with each other naturally. We're not talking about miracles and supernatural things. We're talking about the normal course of your day and of your life. They cannot be in contact with each other because by their very definition, your spirit being cannot be detected by your natural senses. So they both exist. One exists inside the other, but there's no connection of communication because of the way they're designed. So go to the next slide. This is what we looked at last time. So God's given you a third part called your soul. And your soul is a bridge to connect your spirit to your body. Your soul is eternal. It will go wherever your spirit goes. But your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And its main function is to, promote, to provide a gap, a, a communication between your body and your spirit, which is why your soul is so important. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's where this whole course came out of. Romans chapter 12. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Which part is that? That's the natural material realm. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, fully and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now let me explain to you what that says is actually saying to us, how that fits in to this study. He's telling you two things. One is something you're not to do, and the other is something you are to do. The first thing that you're not to do is do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed there is a Greek word that means to be pressured from the outside so that you look like what the thing is that's pressuring you. It's like a mold. Any of you have a coin in your pocket? Quarter? Nickel? Dime? Pull it out. Look at it. It's okay to do that in church. <laughs> not going to ask for it. We're not going to receive an offering right now, so it's safe to get your money out. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. If you look at that, there's an image on there, isn't it? For whatever coin you got out. It either has President Lincoln's head on profile. It has the image of something on, and some letters on there. How did that get on there? It was stamped on there. And by stamped, I don't mean like you stamp a letter. What happens is that piece of silver, and it's not all silver, or that piece of copper, and it's not all copper, was put into a plate and a press come down on it, and it impressed a mold image on it by a tremendous force, listen to me carefully, by tremendous force from the outside, the image that they wanted it to look like was pressured on it so that when the mold came off or the pressure, the die came, pressure came off, the coin now looked like the very thing that pressured against it. Amen. You with me? That's not rocket science either, okay? That's what this word conformed means. What he's saying here is do not be conformed by the world. That word is cosmos, which means the world's system 
or way of doing things. Have you ever noticed in living your normal course of life that there's pressures on you to act a certain way and to talk a certain way and to think a certain way? Just watch TV. That's pressure on you. So under pressure, what you've been allowing to pressure you comes out. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, what Satan's desire is, he could not stop, we talked a little bit about this last time, he could not stop you from being born again, from God's, because when you're born again, God's kingdom comes inside of you, his spirit now comes inside of you. So God's kingdom is now inside of you. He couldn't stop that, but the next thing he tries, his next line of defense is stop what's happened inside of you from affecting anybody else. How does he do that? By putting pressure on you. And the pressure is a system of thinking, a system of talking, a system of acting, a system of even looking on your face. We'll stop there for a second. I remember when I, back in the 70s, when I practiced law in Boston. That's where I got saved. And, and when we went out to Oklahoma, we came back here. And we, the next time I went back to Boston was probably almost 10 years after I'd left. I'm driving in the city, and all of a sudden I begin to look at people's faces. You ever look at people's faces in a city? They all look alike. And they're, they're, it's not just down, they're intent. They're in a hurry to get somewhere. And if you're in their way, they look right through you. They're sticking a stop sign, stoplight, you know, they're waiting to go. They're, as soon as I can go, I'm going to go, because they're all, they look the same. You want to take a mirror up, and, you know, it's like. But you see, they're living, in most cases, unless they're crazy, they're living under the system of the world. Under that system, there's no hope. Under that system, everything's based on what you can do for yourself. Under that system, everything is determined by what your senses tell you. Under that system, the only way you're promoted is to put everybody else down, is to climb over everybody else. It's called the corporate ladder. It's a world system, and it's much larger than that and much more going on than that. That's what the world's imprint looks like. But then that's its nature. But Paul's saying here, once you come to Christ and God has put his nature in you, his nature's joy, his nature's hope, his nature's victory, his nature's the power of God, his nature's love, not based on what happens to me, but what can I do for you? How can I bless you? What can God do for you? That's the nature that's on the inside of you. He couldn't stop it from getting on the inside of you, so his next line of defense is to keep it from coming out so anybody can see it. So he wants to keep you under the same pressures that the world's under so that you look on the outside just like the world. Because that's all they know when they look at you. They don't can't see inside of you. You don't have some big mirror, you know, window in here that they can come up to you. Whoa, Brendan, that's the Spirit of God inside of you. Wow, look at that. Oh, what a blessed man you must be. They can't see inside of you. The only window they have inside of you 
is this window, your face. So the enemy's scheme, the Bible says he's not that clever. He doesn't have anything new. There's no temptation that's come against you that's not common to man with which God will give you the ability to go through it that you may have the grace to overcome it. What he wants to do is keep the pressures of the issues of life, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things, the cares of this world, the world system, pressing in on you all the time from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed to when you wake up in the middle of the night to go wherever you have to go and get back in bed, that pressure's on you. That pressure's trying to be on you because what he wants to do is to keep you looking on the outside like the world system is on the inside of you. It's not your nature, but he can make you look like something that's not your nature. And he says, don't, do not be conformed to the systems of this world. The second thing he says is what we are to do. But be transformed. The word transformed there is the word uh, metamorphomai, which means literally, if you study it out, a lot of, if you look it up in some of the, trans, some of the Greek lexicons, you'll see kind of a, a, a surface definition, which means to change your appearance. But literally what it means if you study it out is to take, oh, this is good. This is, this is really good. Is to take what you're really like on the inside and bring it so it shows up on the outside. That's what that word really means when you study it out. The classic example, of course, is that is the annoying caterpillar who doesn't look like much of anything goes into that cocoon and when he comes out, he comes out that beautiful butterfly. That nature of the butterfly was always in the caterpillar. The metamorphosis was when what his, what his nature shows up on the outside so that we can all see what he always has been that we couldn't really see before as a caterpillar. It's to take what's on the inside of you and have it show up on the outside of you. And notice Paul tells you how to do it. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is a part of your soul. So in the renewing of your mind, you're learning how to be more in contact with what your spirit is than what your body is so that your spirit can begin to have ascendancy in you over your body. Go with me. Go to the next slide. Just go ahead and hit them. There you go. They'll all come in together. All right. Here's the three parts of you laid out a little different. Whoops. Go back. No, 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 no. Go back. Oh. We just went four weeks ahead. 
You got it all? Now, I, I don't come to come in the next few weeks. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. All right. Showing you the different spirit, eternal, strong, God lives. Material, it's temporary, it's weak, it's your body. You don't emphasize that. Your soul, I told you last week, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I've had some questions about that. The emotions, you're all familiar with that. That's the part of you that gets excited, happy, sad. You know, it's, it's the part of you that, that you're most conscious of. Then there's your mind. That's the part of you that's the thinking part of you. I was going to say rational, but it's not always rational. But it's a thinking process. That's the part we're to renew. And then you notice sandwiched in between is your will. Now, we'll look a little bit this later on, but isn't it an interesting pattern? God is made up of three different personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You're made up of three different parts. Spirit, soul, and body. And your soul has three different parts. And they have different functions. We talked last time about your emotions. That's the part. have several functions. One of it is just to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy life. But He doesn't want your emotions to control you. We're not to be led by our emotions, but our emotions help us enjoy the ride, enjoy the experience. They also give us passion. God is a God of passion. You know, I think sometimes we have this image that He just sits on a throne up there. <sighs> Nothing personal, Steve. That wasn't you. <laughs> God's a passionate God. He says, I'm a jealous God. He's passionate for you. He's passionate to see you receive everything He has for you. He longed for you before the Bible says He longed for you. Not He was looking forward. He longed for you before the foundation of the earth. Wow. He loves you with a passion. That's why the Song of Solomon's in there. To show the passion that He has. For Israel and for the church. And he wants us to have a passion back for him and for one another. James chapter 5, talking about prayer, says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Fervent means it's on fire. Your heart's connected with the issue. Ever try to pray for a situation you don't even know anything about them? That's one of the problems in praying for situations, you know, around the world. You'll see them on the news, but you can't relate to them. You don't know them. And in some of those circumstances, it's very hard for us to relate to because we've never experienced anything quite like that. Until 9-11 happened. Then you had people passionate. Why? Because now it came closer to home. You have something now affect you, and you go to God now with passion about it. Because passion what connects with Him. So emotions and feelings are important, but we're not to be governed by them or led by them. Then on the other side, we have the mind. That's the control gate. That controls what goes in you and out of you. Your mind controls what gets down into your spirit and what comes out of your spirit. 
If I teach you something, say something to you, and your mind says, I don't agree with that, guess what? It's not getting in you. If your mind says, I don't know whether I agree with it, I just don't understand it, it's still not going to get in you, but it may be put aside on a shelf for later reference. If you hear somebody say, yeah, I know that's true, the door's wide open and it comes into you. The same way your, spirit, your mind controls what comes out of your spirit because the Spirit of God prompts you. I, I, had, I had to go on this morning. I wanted to get in here in prayer. I got up. I, I exercised. Uh, Ron checks on me. See where I've exercised. I exercised. And, and then, I, you know, I've got, I want to get in here by a certain time and get into prayer. And my mother's in a nursing home not far from here, and I just knew inside I need to go see her. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I got a schedule to keep today. I got to get ready for tonight. I got some phone calls to make. And, and, and the, 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 as I was getting ready in the car, it's just because, right, you need to go see your mother today. So I said, but I just, so I, I'm going to listen to that. Now, I had that same sense yesterday. I didn't listen to it. So what did I do? It's coming up in my spirit. You need to go do this. And my mind says, no, you can't afford the time today because you've got to go do these things for God. Until the day I recognize, wait a minute, this is the Spirit of God telling me to go see her. But my point is, my mind stopped my body from carrying out what was in my spirit. Because my mind said, you don't have time to do that today. Now, am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay, good. Oh, I was close. At least we're not on TV tonight. Okay. So your mind controls what's coming in and out. But notice there's another part of you in the middle of that soul called your will. And that's what everything's after. God's spirit through your spirit is after your will. And the enemy of your soul is after your will. Why is your will so important to them? Because your will is what determines what you will do and what you will not do. It's what the battle is for. You've heard the expression, the mind is, is the, the battlefield is the mind. That's, what the battle, that's where the battle's fought, but the battle's for your will. When the Spirit of God was coming to you for you to turn your life over to Christ, there was a battle going on in your will, in your mind, and sometimes in your emotions because the struggle was going on for your will to make a decision. And until your will made a decision, Christ could not come inside of you. It took your will giving. See, because that's God made you in His image. The Bible says, He made man. It's the only creation, it says, that He made in His image. He made you in His image. And I said last week, it doesn't necessarily mean that God has two eyes and two ears. I don't know what He physically looks like. He may well look like that, and it may be what it means. But what it really means is we're the only being that He created that He gave the free will to decide yes or no to obey Him or not. In fact, man is the only thing God created that ever said no to Him. Everything else instantly obeys Him. Jesus was living proof of that. Several times He was in a boat in a storm. What did He do? He spoke to the wind 
and the waves, and they went into prayer to decide whether they were going to obey him or not. They had to go home and talk to their wife and see if it was okay. The moment he said, peace, be still, instantly, the wind and the waves obeyed him. The Bible says that the stars are hung in the, star, hung in the skies by the word of God, by the word of his power, and they're still held there by the word of his power. That's how powerful God's word is. And yet with all that power, you can look God in the eyes and say, no. And you're the only creature that can do that because he gave you a free will like his. And you say, why would God do something like that knowing to give it to us? We're going to mess it up. And we have. Why? Because God wanted you to exercise your will on your own behalf to choose him. It's only when you choose him because you want to that your choice of him means anything to him. That's how much he wants you, that he was willing to risk losing you because to have you on any other terms would not satisfy him unless he had you because you wanted him and loved him. So we've got this will, and that's what he wants, and that's what the enemy wants because we talked last week that the spirit realm can only express itself in this natural realm through one of these bodies. And we'll talk more about it. You'll see that more clearly later on. But here's, I want to show you what the will is like. When I was in high school, um, I, I love sports. The problem is my love of sports exceeded my ability. And so we had a basketball team in the school I went to in high school, and so I, I, you know, I was not tall enough, fast enough, or coordinated enough other than that, I was great, um, <clears throat> to play on the ba basketball team. But what I could do is be the manager. Now, in basketball, the manager is not the coach. He's not the one that draws the X's and O's. He's the one that carries the pail around in the, in the towels. All right? So it was training for ministry. <clears throat> but I just wanted to be part of the team. At that school, you had to do, do something in some sport so that's what I wanted to do. And I was telling you that background because I still, I, I know why I was there. It was for this example. This coach, <laughs> this coach was very good at teaching defense. And I still remember him standing, a little coach was a little short guy, but he knew, what he, he knew his basketball. And he was trying to explain to these high school students how to defend against this guard coming down the court, bouncing the basketball. Now, for those of you that are not basketball fans, let me explain to you. The guy bouncing the ball down the court is trying to get past you. Because <laughs> he either wants to go to the basket and put the ball in the basket or go past it to somebody who's taller and closer. But his first thing is he's got to get past you. And he'll lie to you to get past you. He'll tell you he's going to go one way when he's really going to go the other way. Now, he won't say it with his mouth. He'll do it with his body. And that was the point this coach was making. Because he said, what will happen is he'll come down that court and he'll come at you and he'll look over here. He'll even take a step over here and he may put the, go to put the ball over here, but he's not going over here. He wants you to think he's going there because he's really going over here. 
And some of these guys are so clever because they'll do this and go behind the back and turn. Next thing you know, you're standing over here, turned around, and he's way down there. He says, there's one surefire way to not be fooled. Because there's one part of him he cannot fool you with. He can fool you with his head. He can fool you with his hands. He can fool you with his eyes. He can fool you with his feet. But what he cannot fool you with is his belly button. Excuse me, navel. He cannot fool you with his midsection. Really what it is is his center of gravity. He cannot throw that somewhere and go somewhere else. Because wherever he sends his belly, that's where he's going. He can't fool you with that. And that's what your will's like. This is why some of you struggle. You think your places you're not. Because your mind's looking at your emotions and saying to God, Oh, God, I, I don't want to do this. Israel was a good example. They kept telling God how they wanted to obey Him, but they didn't obey Him. So their will was in one direction and their mind was going in another direction. That's why the Bible says, be careful, you know, you can deceive yourself. You think you're someplace and really you're somewhere else because the proof of where you are is what you do. The proof of what you believe about giving is what your checkbook says, not what you think. I remember a good friend of mine was in the ministry and doctor sat him down and says, look, you know, if you want to live in, to be 20 years longer in, in this kind of health, you need to change your diet. Do you eat? Well, oh, I eat great. I eat healthily. Oh, great. Here's what we're going to do. For the next two weeks, you write down everything, everything you eat. No problem. I eat well. Wrote it down, and the doctor looked at it. He says, came in two weeks later and says, I'm surprised you're alive. <laughs> Monday morning, fried eggs and pancakes, sugar-free syrup. Tuesday morning, I put away the pancakes, but I had a waffle. Sugar-free syrup. And he had the impression, because he was eating sugar-free syrup, that he was eating healthy. I, I, I laugh at myself sometimes. How much my, I, my mind tries to lie to me. Ever go along, you know, go through a spell where you, you know you're not eating right? Am I the only one? Okay, all right. And then you get a hold of yourself, you know, I need to eat right, and you eat one good healthy meal, and now you feel healthy? <laughs> like eating that one meal now has changed three weeks of the garbage I put in my body. But we'll turn that principle around. Because we'll have been eating well, and somebody, you know, somebody goes to a birthday party, you know, and they have a piece of cake. So they have a piece of cake, you know, and they say, well, that's okay. It was just one piece of cake. They have a second piece of cake. And the next day, you know what? That wasn't so bad. I've really been eating healthy, so I can have more cake and more cake and more cake. So in the one case, one meal turns everything around. But on the other hand, going the other direction, I can eat two weeks worth of stuff, and it won't yet counteract the one meal I have. Your mind will pay tricks with you. You know the proof of what you've been eating? (laughs) 
because your body don't lie. <laughs> if your intake is more than your output, it outhangs. <laughs> it goes somewhere. <laughs> I better get off this subject. <laughs> Let's go back and talk about what we talked about last week. <laughs> the point is this. The center of your soul that the enemy's after and the Spirit of God wants is your will. They can't take it. They can't make you but they woo you. God woos you through the Spirit. The enemy woos you through your flesh because that's the only avenue he has is your five senses. And if you recognize just that, where is this coming from? Is this something coming through my senses? Because if it's coming through my senses, I know it's not God. Because he doesn't... Now, he can do things any way he wants, but in the normal course of operation... God does not speak to you through your natural senses. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. The Spirit of the man is the candle or the path lighting of the Lord. So one of the most important reasons to understand these different parts of you is to be able to recognize where that message is coming from. Is it coming from your body and your senses? Or is it coming from down deep in your spirit? And we'll talk more about that. But I want you to see that your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. But notice, Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So your will will change as you take your mind and... Learn to train it to think the way God thinks. To be renewed means to change how it operates. Your mind operates in patterns of thought. Now, some of you husbands may be thinking of your wife. She operates in patterns of thought. Yes, we all do. Some of them are rational. Some of them are not rational. But they're patterns of thoughts. Your emotions are a result of your thoughts. Your emotions just don't blow in at it somewhere. You know, because the trade winds changed and the, you know, the wind changed from the northeast to the southwest. Now your emotions change. No, 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 no. Your emotions are a direct result of what you've been thinking. Now your thoughts can be so fast, you're not conscious or aware of them. I can prove that to you. You can be having a down day and just feeling sorry. Ever have a, ever have a pity party? Oh, <laughs> And the phone rings, and it's me. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Pastor John. <laughs> you just got control of your emotions, didn't you? So you, you think, oh, I can't control Yes, you can. You just haven't practiced it enough. The Word of God says that we're transformed What's on the inside begins to come out and express itself to the outside as you learn to think along the lines of what God thinks. I'll give you a quick example of that and then we'll close. 
few months ago, I was just looking at circumstances of just, you know, issues in life that I had to come up with answers for that I didn't have answers for. Then I look at, you know, those, you know, in, in family members, those in my life, you know, finances and all these areas of life that you all have to deal with issues, you know. And then I'm, now i got to look at the church. You're, when you're a pastor, you're a CEO, so you've got to run a corporation. You've got to have, you've got to have business planning. You've got to know how to, something about finances. You've got to have something about, you know, future, where you're going. You've got to be able to deal with, you know, mechanical things of what's going wrong. In the church. I don't have to deal with them, but I've got to understand what's happening with them. And then that's just the natural stuff. Then you've got to add to that the spiritual stuff. You know, what do I have to do? My responsibility is to feed you by, tra- by teaching and doing the kinds of things now. But it's not just that. Not only do I have to do that, I've got to pray for you. I've got to pray for where this church is going. I've got to ask God. I've got to get involved in spiritual warfare for things that are trying to come in, not just with my life, my family, but the church. Well, I had a day a couple of months ago that got overwhelming. I got good company. Paul felt overwhelmed at times. And I got up saying, one guy, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, this just looks, I can't handle all that, God. And this is why it's so important to take God's word and to put it in you and to put it in you and to put it in you and to put it in you. Because no sooner I recognized that thought when this came up inside of me. But I said, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I got a choice. I either, with my will, agree with what God said about it, or I agree with what my emotions are telling me. It's a choice I make. And at that moment, the choice became clear. I had, it's like a fork in the road. And I can go down this path and go have a pity party. And, of course, you understand at pity parties, you're the only one that shows up. <laughs> Except other people who are with you, but they're attending their own pity party. They're not going to feel sorry for you because yours is not as bad as theirs. Have you ever noticed what happens? You get around people feeling sorry for themselves. You know, it's like, oh, Ron, you don't understand how bad things are. Oh, my, you don't understand the pressure I'm under. Oh, yeah, and Ron says, yeah, but it's just like what I'm going through. And you understand, because you know what? To him, what he's going through is more real than what I'm going through. So we get together and have this pity party together, but he's not really joined my party. We're just co-oping. <laughs> and we'll encourage each other because I don't want, because, if, you know, if you, if you try to hold your pity party around someone who's saying, I can do all things through Christ, you don't want them coming to your pity party because they'll ruin it. <laughs> They'll pop your balloons. It's fun to have a pity party for a while. But it's the temptation the devil puts to you because it feels good to our flesh. It does. I mean, you, oh, poor you. If all they only understood what you go through, poor you. Oh, you know, poor you. It feels so good. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's interesting because in, De- in Deuteronomy 28, one of the reasons the curse came upon them because they were not thankful. Thanksgiving is so critical. I don't mean the holiday. I mean an attitude towards God. I try to start every day out by going over things I'm thankful to God for. It changes my attitude. It puts my eyes on Him. But the point was, because I have built that scripture into my mind, when my emotions were trying to run this way, 
the Spirit of God in me could bring this verse up to me and I could make that adjustment of my will. But if you don't renew your mind, renew your mind means to learn to think differently. Renewing your mind means to learn to think differently. When I went to law school, I knew this because my stepfather was a lawyer, but I asked him before I went, I said, do they teach you law? He says, no, they don't teach you law. Now, there's certain law schools that do, but good, really good law schools, they don't teach you law because they're training lawyers for anywhere in the country. What they teach you is to think differently. They teach you an analysis that you go through. So if you were to come into my office and told me what your issue was, I'm not just listening to your story. I know that in order to take your case before a judge, we have to prove certain elements. So I'm listening to your jambled story, your rambling story, whatever it is, and I'm listening, are all five of these elements in your story? So I'm filtering out your story into, I'm having to renew, because my mind is taught to think differently. Well, I've used a better example. It's when you go to Starbucks and you, you, know, you want to, you know, a grande latte, skinny, with mocha, half and half, blah, 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 blah. And I asked him, how do you get that straight? Because we don't listen to it in the order that you give it. We're trained to listen to whatever you tell us, whatever it is, size, caffeinated, decaf, you know, hot, cold, whatever. They have an order that they're trained, they've renewed their mind to handle what comes up in an order that will allow them to get your order taken care of correctly. And renewing our mind is to take what God says about a situation and building that out onto our mind to the place that when the situation comes up, we don't react to what we see, we process it through what God said about it. And when we do that, now our will is able to agree with what our spirit is saying and two of us are now in agreement and we can overcome what our flesh is telling us to do. Does that make sense to you? Well, then we'll end here and we'll pick up here next time.